If you've got a Bible, it would be very helpful at this moment. Um, you can open it to the 16th chapter of Exodus. While you're finding it, I mention, I'm going to mention three things quickly. First of all, uh, it seems to me uh, that the most creative ministry we have in this church is Sinquanon. This art, I don't know of another church in America that does this. And so if you've submitted an art piece, great. But on the 24th, there's going to be this um, uh, new unveiling. And I hope you'll be a part of that. It's a fun night. Come over here and eat some fun food and, and gaze at some art that you really don't know what it means. Um, but somebody can help you. I hope you'll be a part of us on the 24th. Secondly, um, I still find this shocking that anyone would be interested in what we did for four weeks in Baku, Azerbaijan. I I can't imagine why you would want to know this, but apparently there's four of you who do. Um, Because all four of you have come to me and said, are you going to say anything about Baku? Well, I am. We are. We're going to do that this coming Wednesday night. And here's the real... Here's the real enticement. The main story that we want to tell, my wife is going to tell. Um, you know she's gifted. You, you can see that in those GOLs that she, she sends out. There is a real poignant story that I think you'll enjoy hearing, and she's going to tell it. So this week, 5.30, we'll start eating. 6.30, we'll stop eating. 6.30, we'll sing for 10 minutes, and then from, for 35 minutes, we'll tell you about Baku, so if you want to hear anything about it, uh, oh, by the way, it will not be recorded. We do that to protect the people over in Azerbaijan. So if you want to hear this, it, you got one shot, and that's uh, Wednesday night, um, 6.30 or so. Come be with us. We hope you will. And then finally, tonight in my home, uh, if you're a college student or no one, if you have a college student that you want to... Uh, Give them a, something to do tonight. Come to, my, come to our house. We have a free supper for you. It's at 7 p.m. Uh, the only cost of admission is a question. You've got to write a question out. And then Brady will act as MC. And it's kind of a stump the chump. We're going to ask him questions and see if he's got any uh, answers to the, our difficult questions. So tonight, 7 p.m., if you're college age, headed to college for the first time, Come be with us. It's fun night. We eat, we play, we answer some questions, and we go home. It's a, it's a fun evening. Hope to see you our home, 7 o'clock tonight. Now, let's read the text. It's found in Exodus 16. Um, you, you recall, I hope, that we looked at Exodus 15 last week, and Lord willing, we'll look at Exodus 17 in a couple of weeks. But uh, tonight, or today, it's Exodus 16, verses 1 through 8. You hear now that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. This is the very mind of God as black words on a white page. Here it is, and it reads like this. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. 
On the sixth day, when, the, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, Israel is about six weeks at this point out of Egypt. They were redeemed by the Passover uh, blood, you may recall, in Exodus 12. They've been gone from Egypt about six weeks. Most of that time, about six weeks, was spent in this site of Elam, E-L-I-M. Um, there's lots of water in Elam. I mean, there's 12 springs of water in Elam. And there's shade even. Um, they got 70 palm trees there in Elam. And dates, they have um, dessert in the desert. Um, it's a place of abundance. Why don't we just stay here? Because it's not the promised land. And so now it's time to move on. Closer to the promised land. And guess what God has in store for his people? Another test. We saw one in chapter 15, verse 25, and now here's the second one. In chapter 16, verse 4, it's mentioned as a test. Because you see, the, the promised land can only be accessed through the wilderness. And so the wilderness becomes, in essence, their, their classroom. It's the, uh, the location of their education. As they go through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And this time, as opposed to Exodus 15, the circumstances are different. The problem's not lack of water. The problem is lack of food. So once again, they find themselves asking themselves, Can this God be trusted? Can this God be trusted with my life? You know, there's a future out there, and it's uh, looking not too good. Can I trust this God with my life? Gang, the gist of the story in Exodus 16, I think you already know. If you've ever been a part of a church, you've heard about manna. In fact, that whole word, that word has been picked up and brought into the English language and is used frequently. So you know the story about manna, but let me remind you that the route to the promised land went right through a desert. Now, if you've ever seen this desert, you know that it qualifies. It is a barren place. But don't forget this, guys. The path that they're on in the wilderness is not the wrong path. It's the right path. It's the God-chosen path. It's the God-led path. So six weeks out of Egypt, the food that they brought with them from Egypt, that's long gone. 
the desert doesn't grow anything edible. You can't grow anything out of rocks and sand, and, and no food can be bought. So in their minds, what they're facing is imminent starvation. And so they do what all redeemed people do when they're faced with a crisis. They pray. (laughs) Not hardly. They worship. No, they don't do that either. Here's what they do. They grumble. The word grumble is found eight times in 12 verses. You know, over in the New Testament, there is a, um, there's a piece of instruction by the, the Apostle Paul. It's a commandment, and the commandment goes like this. Do all things without grumbling. It's in Philippians 2. There's a command, ladies and gentlemen, in the New Testament that says, we are to do all things without grumbling. Someone has said that if, if, that, was, if that were the only command in the entire Bible... Forget uh, stealing and adultery and lying and, and coveting. Forget all that. And there was just one commandment in the entire Bible. And that commandment was, thou shalt not grumble. If that was the only commandment in the entire Bible. Boy, would we still be so guilty. I don't like this path that I'm on. I don't like this, the way that God's leading me. I mean, I want, I'd rather live in New York. I want to be married. I want to have more money. I'm not happy about how God is, is dealing with me. Grumble, grumble grumble ladies and gentlemen I submit to you that the point of this story is not about grumbling the point of my sermon is not about grumbling the point of this story has to do with the test the test that's mentioned in verse 4 you see this story forces questions upon us Um, at least two first of all with what do we grumble? And secondly, at whom is our grumbling directed? Let's look at the first one. With what do we grumble? Do we grumble with our hands? Do we grumble with our eyes? Some would say, well, you know, the grumbling comes out of the mouth, but you surely understand that that's not the, the, the source or the origin of the grumbling, not the mouth. The origin is the heart. The untamed human heart. The untamed human redeemed heart. Guys, the anchor on my soul is an untamed heart. And folks, I I hope you realize this, but But Exodus 16 is not a story about food. It's a story about the heart. The the story is not about what we eat. The story is about who we are. 
Stories like this one, and the Bible is full of them, um, allow us or perhaps even force upon us to face the wilderness that is on the inside. Brought to light, yes, um, by the wilderness that is on the outside, the circumstances, yes, it's the circumstances with, through which we're walking that allow me or force me to get a glimpse of the condition of my heart. Gang, you must not read stories like this and walk away merely being informed. That's not the intent of this story. To be informed is easy. To be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that's not so easy. That is the lifelong work of the human soul. And how is the heart changed? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's, let's go to the other part of the question. At whom is our grumbling directed? Guys, at this point, you all, we all have to face verses 7 and 8. Did you see that? You're not grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Oh, no, no, no. You're grumbling. It's against the Lord. You see, guys, um, what, what we do what you're doing, or what we're doing when we grumble, is that we're separating the person of God from the power of God. By that I mean, this is the God that we say we love, but I don't like what he's doing. And therefore, we grumble thinking that that is not, that that's okay somehow. You see, we're not just upset. We're upset with God. My circumstances aren't what I like, and it is his fault. It's not Jimmy Young's. It's not my wife's. It's God that I'm upset with. Now, guys, how do I change that? How do I change that kind of ugliness in my heart? Um, I got to tell you, there's no simple, short answers to that question. Um, massive volumes and centuries of discussions and debate have sought to explain it succinctly, and they, none of them have done it succinctly. And I'm, I'm going to take a quick swipe at it, and, and, I, and hopefully it will help. But understand this, guys. What I'm trying to address with my next 20 minutes, I'm trying to address this question. How do, I, how do you change the human heart? How do we make changes so that the thing that is black gets less black. All right, go back to the story with me. Let's do a little bit more analysis of the story. First of all, the text tells us that six weeks into their new relationship with God, and these folks aren't real sure that God can be trusted with their lives. Neither are we. And we've been Christians a whole lot longer than six weeks. We're not real sure that he can be trusted either. Yeah, yes, they say, I I know about all those ten plagues back in Egypt. Oh, that was really impressive what God did. You know, the the frogs and the fleas and the, oh, yeah, that was something. 
And then when that Passover and the death angel and killed the firstborn, oh boy, I really thought, oh, I thought it was really great. And then we came to the Red Sea of all, was he really on display there? I mean, we separated, we went right through the Egyptian army. It was great. And then just a couple of days ago with that, with that bitter water of Mary, I, 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 I saw all that, but I am still not yet convinced that he really does love me. in spite of all that he's done. Now, guys, lest you think I'm overstating that, I want you to see something in Deuteronomy 1 that I've showed you before. But you know what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' sermons toward the end of his life. And in sermon number 1, in chapter 1, this is in verse 27, Deuteronomy 1, 27, and this is stated. Moses says, And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites. In spite of all that, the ten plagues and Passover and the Dead Sea and the water, in spite of all that I've seen him do, I have come to the conclusion that he hates me. Assigning the very opposite motive to him than the real one. But just in case you're not comfortable with the word hate, let let me state it like this. Down deep, we fear that he is not the kind of God who really wants to be good to us. He's basically irked with us, irritated, and he's looking for some occasion so that he can punish us somehow. And so every time I run into a a, a situation of negativity, then I start thinking, well, what did I do to prompt him to do this to me? Sin has so ravaged us, ladies and gentlemen, that in the face of all that he has done to get us out of bondage, No matter how many years of his faithfulness I have enjoyed, let one crisis arise and we quickly conclude he hates me. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one source of that. the human heart. The difficulties of the present have a way of making us forget God's grace in the past, do they not? And one other thing I would add. We have also, I think, forgotten just how empty our lives were back in Egypt. Did you see that in the text? They want to go back to Egypt where there's the flesh pots. I mean, we had some, fle- oh, we had some great flesh pots. But, uh, forget it that they threw our children into the Nile and let the crocodiles eat them. Oh, and they whipped us with making bricks without any straw. Oh, yeah, but we had those flesh pots. We should have, we should have stayed in Egypt. Yeah, I know he set me free from my bondage, but I, I, you know, I think I want to go back to that. Ladies and gentlemen, have you forgotten the life that you had before you met Christ? 
the flesh pots? Or how about all the chaos and the purposelessness? How about the, the constant philosophical treadmill that I was on, always trying to answer questions for which I had no answers? And I know what God did to bring me out of that. But you know, I'd really like to go back. They did. Do you? All in all, folks, our biggest problem is one of unbelief. We are believing unbelievers. And so the grumbling rising out of my heart that is aimed not at Moses but God, how do I change that? Well, here's the first step. And that is the very clear realization that my heart is black. in spite of all that he's done and the life that I got delivered from that I could long to go back to that it's because of my heart Lord I believe would you help me in my unbelief okay here's some help the help is to be found in the gospel. I'm not saying in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the help is to be found in the gospel. Now, wait just a minute here, Dr. Young. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've already embraced the gospel, and, and uh, you know, I need some deeper principles of holy living. You know, I, you know, I've got those ABCs. I've got those ABCs down pat. What I need is the deep things of God. Really? Well, here they are. The gospel. And I want to show you what I mean by three passages. One in the New Testament, two in the Old. You don't need to turn. But here's what I mean by the deep things of God or found in the gospel. Guys, the Apostle Paul planted the church at Ephesus. He writes a letter, as you know, the book of Ephesians, and in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, he prays for them. Have you ever noticed what Paul prayed for for those Christians in Ephesus? What does he ask God to give them? Oh, God, I hope you give them a greater knowledge of the law. No, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't ask for that. You know what he asks for? He says, I want those Ephesian Christians to know the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of God. You know what will serve them the best is that they understand that they are loved, which is on display in the gospel. Or how about this one? The book of Proverbs. We all love the book of Proverbs. We all know what the book of Proverbs is. It's a, it's a dad, in this case it's Solomon, a dad writing to his son, trying to give him some advice about living. Have you ever, have you ever uh, stopped over this one? 
This is the piece of advice that the dad gives his son. This is Proverbs 3, verse 3. Son, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Son, son, listen here. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that you can afford to forget. I mean, if you, if, if you forget your views of baptism, it'll be fine. But son, here's something you can never afford to forget. Don't ever forget the steadfast love of Yahweh for you. I've told you before that the Hebrew word is hesed, loyal love, long-term love. Son, do whatever you have to do. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Do something, but don't forget his steadfast love for you. Not law. Love. And then the final one is found in, of all places, the book of Leviticus. You know, that graveyard of every read it through the Bible in a year programs. Well, this is Leviticus chapter 20. And I want to read you one verse. Listen to this. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And... have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Folks, what will ultimately change the craven fears of my heart? An appeal to law? Never. It is the greater and greater realization that of all the peoples on this big old planet of ours, I belong to him. Of all the peoples, he set me apart to be his. To fixate on the fact that the Lord of strictest holiness has separated me out of all the peoples to be his own. That. That should capture your heart. Marinating in the gospel. By the way, when did he do that? When did he separate me to be his own? Well, he did it before the foundations of the earth. But he finally accomplished and purchased me through the life and death of Jesus Christ or the gospel. You want your heart to change? It starts with the recognition that, boy, it is black. And secondly... Go rehearse the gospel to your unbelieving, untamed, faithful, grumbling heart over and over again. Say to your heart, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Go tell your heart that. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that you can never know the gospel too well. 
Now, two final thoughts and I'm done. Both from the story. Gang, how does God respond to all of their grumbling? Their sin. Well, I'll just send uh, brimstone. I'll send fire and consume those people. I will respond to their rebellion with bread. I'm going to respond to your untamed heart by giving. You people whose souls I delivered out of Egypt through the blood of a shed lamb at Passover, you still have a heart that needs some work, lots of work. So I'm going to send you not what you deserve, I'm going to send you some bread. And oh, by the way, do you know what Jesus calls himself in John 6? Bread. I am going to respond to their sin by sending them Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son. My friends, it was grace that has brought me safe thus far. And it is grace that will lead me home. One final observation and I'm done. What surprises me most about this story is not what is present, the grumbling. I understand that. But what I, I don't understand is the thing that is absent joy is nobody is nobody absolutely thrilled to be out of bondage hey fellas do you don't have you forgotten what was in Egypt aren't you excited to be out of there aren't you excited to be set free is nobody excited about the grace that has set us free There none of us, none of us who glory in what he's done to set us free. Where is the dancing in the streets? Guys, back in Egypt, they're crying. I understand that. why are we? God has moved heaven and earth, separating us from all the peoples to make us his own. We have been set free by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now go tell your heart that. And watch it change. Our Father, I do pray that you'll remind your people that you have gone to extraordinary lengths 
to take us, bring us, capture us out of our own bondage and bring us to yourself. That you bore us out on eagle's wings and have brought us to yourself. We belong to you, O God. We've been purchased with the price, that price being the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And now we are yours. And the one who began that good work in us will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. We will never be lost. So, O God, would you build a fire in the hearts of your people that we would never again shake our ugly fists in your face to tell you just how upset we are with you. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, who are still on the outside looking in and wondering what all the excitement is about, would you grant them eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you cause them to see that their greatest need this morning is not for their next breath? Their greatest need is for a Savior. Would you show him to them in all of his beauty. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.